When the Federal Communications Commission rolled out its online universal licensing system in the 1990s, it was ahead of its time, giving the public access to the Commission's biggest database of wireless licenses and letting license holders handle much of the application process online. But time has marched on, and ULS is past due for an overhaul now. Nicholas Degani is senior counsel to Ajit Pai, the FCC chairman. He talked with me about the upcoming upgrade and how it fits into the Commission's broader modernization strategy. So there's actually two sides of what we're working on with ULS. One is on the IT side, trying to modernize the universal licensing system and bring it up to date. As you suggested, it's it's dating back almost 20 years now in terms of how it was originally designed. And our IT guys have been working uh, through the appropriated funds from Congress to try to improve that website and make it more functional, more usable, and using more up-to-date software protocols. But the other side of it is something that we recently circulated to the commissioners. This is a notice of proposed rulemaking to bring ULS into the digital age. Uh, as of today, the ULS system still accepts manually filed applications and produces a number of paper copies of authorizations, dismissal letters, etc. Uh, this can add up to tens of thousands of letters that have to be printed and mailed out each year, even when in some cases we have 80, 80 or 90% of those authorizations are going to people that we have email addresses for trying to move us to the digital age, recognizing that people can print out for themselves if they need it, a written uh, paper authorization, but are more likely just to want to have a copy of the authorization, getting it electronic form, will allow us to save taxpayers funds and provide a much more useful uh, system for licensees. And so I, I assume part of this will mean that eventually licensees or license applicants will no longer even be able to file things on paper or, or get things on paper. Not that many of them will probably mind that change, but is, is, is paper going to disappear as an option? That, that's exactly right. Uh, the, the, the problem today is we still have you know, b about uh, 400 some odd thousand applications coming in. Only a very limited number, about 4,000 or so, 5,000 are coming in in paper form right now. Uh, but that takes up a disproportionate amount of staff time to deal with because they're in paper form. They've got to be uploaded, scanned in, et cetera. If we can move to a fully electronic system, that will save the uh, taxpayer money, that'll save us resources, so we can focus on the things that uh, licensees and others really care about, getting things processed more quickly, more easily than they could before. The, the overall modernization of this system, I think, has been underway for a couple years now. Can you talk just a bit about what's been done so far and, and what this, this next upcoming phase is going to involve? Absolutely. So we've been working to move things electronic for several years. We've also been looking at how to retool the system to use more updated software than we have before. Uh, as you suggested, this is kind of based, uh, the overall system is based on uh, 1990s and early 2000s web protocols. So trying to come up with a more uh, modern system architecture uh, that can be a little bit faster, a little bit more user-friendly than the current architecture, that, that's certainly a goal of ours. And hopefully it'll look a little bit better too. ULS sure. is just one of the, the databases of licenses that, that you guys work with. I think it's by far the largest, but they, they are, they're all formatted in similar ways, and I think they all have kind of the same lineage. Are, are you doing similar modernization processes to other uh, licensing systems? 
Yes. So we've been working through trying to ensure that all of our licensing systems are modern and up-to-date. So part of that's working on the IT side. I don't want to get too much into exactly what our IT guys are doing right there because uh, a lot of it has to do with trying to make sure that we are actively working in a secure environment and protecting mm-hmm. the data that licensees and consumers give to us. Uh, but the other aspect is go, you know, we're going systematically through our rules and trying to ensure that we are living in the digital age. Um, So one thing that we've done in our uh, modernization of media regulation initiative is go through our broadcast rules, and we found that a number of places specifically require paper copies of things to be posted or sent to the commission or transmitted to other regulatees. We've been going through and eliminating much of that extra paperwork, moving towards a more electronic format. Um, One other example from the prior administration is we moved towards online public files rather than having the physical public files. That makes it much easier for the commission and our staff as well as the public to see exactly what's going on with each broadcast licensee. All right, and let's get to the second reform that's happening right now or that you just announced late last month, which is involves the FCC hearing process using more written testimony or, or written, you know, end-to-end written hearings, I guess, instead of in-person testimony. Talk about how that process is going to change and, and why you're doing it. Absolutely. So under the Communications Act, we're required to go to hearings in certain cases. So, for example, if we think someone uh, no longer uh, has, uh, is supposed to have a license because they vi- violated federal law, that might, might require a hearing. Uh, one prominent case that we've seen in recent years are what are called zombie broadcasters, those who really are not broadcasting, uh, but occasionally will put up a signal just to claim that they are actively using the license when they're really not doing so. In cases like that, we really haven't seen that much need for live testimony. The facts aren't disputed. Everyone understands what's going on. It's really just a question of law. So trying to go through and have a live in-person trial type procedure rather than going through that same hearing process on paper or electronically, as it were, uh, is very wasteful, very time consuming uh, when there are much bigger fish to fry when it comes to moving forward with uh, processing of licenses. If the licensee involves, similar question to what I asked during the ULS conversation, if the licensee involved wants to have a live in-person hearing, will that remain an option? Uh, I believe it actually will depend. I mean, so so this is, of course, a proposal, so we're seeking comment on exactly how to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But part of the question is going to be, does it make sense to do so? Uh, If the licensee really is disputing certain questions, then we would actually have to take a look at whether live testimony would be needed in those cases. But again, most of the time, especially when we've seen like in the zombie cases, there hasn't been a dispute. If you're only broadcasting for an hour, a year or less than that, uh, the question is not, are you actually doing something or not? The facts aren't in dispute. Therefore, you don't really need live testimony. Got it. Okay. So how do, how do the two things that we've been talking about so far fit into broader overall FCC modernization efforts? What else is going on big picture? Well, so big picture, we've done a number of different reforms to try to make us more accessible to the public and allow licensees and others, including everyday consumers, to understand what's going on. So, for example, for the first time in history, uh, back in 2017, Chairman Pai announced that we would make available to the public draft items three weeks before the commission would vote on them. So this is kind of revolutionary. Before, only Washington insiders could know exactly what the FCC was doing. But now, because we release them three weeks in advance and post them on our website, anyone who wants to know what we're working on for any given month can just look it up and make arguments about whether we're doing the right thing or not. So that's one example. Another is trying to get more consumer-friendly policy fact sheets out there. So when we have these items that we're releasing publicly, that can be, you know, 10, 20, 30, sometimes even 100 pages 
of uh, legal observations and arguments that make it a little harder for the average consumer to understand what's going on. So at the suggestion of one of the other commissioners, Commissioner Clyburn, uh, who's unfortunately no longer with the commission, the commission decided to institute a process where a one-page fact sheet would be attached to every draft item that we released, summarizing in plain English each proposal in question to make it more accessible. That's Nicholas Degani, Senior Counsel at the Federal Communications Commission. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers. While Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today.